0: Hey, Sales of Nation, it's your host, Tyler Lindley. Today, I have Nicole Pereira on the podcast, the CEO and founder of remote Hey, Nicole, how you doing? Welcome to the show.
1: I'm great. Thanks for having
0: me, Tyler. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining. So Nicole, you and I were discussing RevOps, which I know is a topic that you're very passionate about. And we we talk about RevOps. We think of people, we think of process and we think of platform as kind of the three main things that that would make up a RevOps strategy. Which of those do you think is, uh, you know, is kind of important, which which of those have been top of mind for you lately, Nicole?
1: You know, it's interesting. We can listen to all these leaders um, out in the space, I think they, they spend a lot of time on process and platform because I feel like process and platform really are the ops side of RevOps and the Rev is the type of function, you know, the, the revenue related operations, it's, it's new and it's a sexy title. But I think we keep forgetting about the people. There's two sides. There's the people who are the revenue operators and there's the the people who are being enabled to do their jobs on the front line. But I, I think we don't spend enough time talking about them. And when you're a business and you're trying to grow and you're trying to scale and you're trying to put process in place and you're trying to put platform in place, it's like the people who are doing it, they're putting it in place, they're using it. They're optimizing it. And I feel like oftentimes people don't remember that without them, you wouldn't have a RevOps function. Mm. Honestly, you could do RevOps without platform and and process. It's painful. And that's how most businesses start. But if you go too far on the other side of the fence and it becomes all process and all platform, you forget the people, you're going to have an immense amount Mm. of turnover in your organization. I'm of the opinion that turnover doesn't necessarily need to happen if you have built a, a people ops organization and then you pull in other things like RevOps and things like that. And what's most important, I feel, is not to let process or platform like define your people. I think that the people come first and then they help develop the process and platform to enable them to do what they need to do. People change too. And and if you're not giving them a, a efficient path to change, I don't know. Ever, everyone's gonna be grumpy. No <laughs> one's gonna be happy.
0: Yeah. And it's hard to get anything done with a grumpy workforce for sure. You mentioned people ops there, Nicole. I mean, what do you mean by people ops? Like what does that mean? Is to, to someone who doesn't never heard of that term, what does people ops mean?
1: Yeah, no, it's and it's kind of diving into a totally different realm, but it's it's a lot of it has to do with like recruitment. Like the process of recruitment, the process of, of maintaining your workforce. It, it's interesting because RevOps came around because the operational side of of revenue generating activities was sort of lost and fragmented alignment. I think it was a term for a long time that was used until they realized it's not just alignment. We could claim we're aligned. Mm-hmm. We could put things in place that says that. Things are aligned, but if we don't actually do it, we're not aligned. So the operation part actually came to the surface, in my opinion. And I think a lot of other areas of businesses are getting on the ops bandwagon, realizing that you need a really great operational infrastructure to do well. So to keep your people, you really do need good people ops you know, making sure they get their paycheck on time, making sure they understand their role. What does it mean to get a promotion? You know, how can you how can you get a pay raise? Transparency and how all that works, I think are very important. And so even if you're not large enough to have a people ops function, I feel like thinking of your people within your RevOps portion of the organization is very important. You may have other parts of your organization where it's not necessarily a big deal to have pathways to promote or lateral opportunities for for your people if you're the hr representative in an organization you might just be that hr representative for a very long time But I think when you arrive in the revenue engine, there's left, there's right, there's up, there's down. I think the best leaders in RevOps came from almost all three major parts of the engine. So they've spent their time in sales. They've spent their time in service. They spent their time in marketing. They come over to the ops side. They understand the, the frontline pain. But... It's hard to do that if your organization hasn't built that ability to make lateral movements amongst the people. Mm. It's also hard to do that if your people don't really understand their lanes as well. And there's a whole argument these days on, you know, sales ops, marketing ops, service ops, and then rev ops. And how does how do all those things interact? But I think there's like a fluidity between all of those. I feel like people need to be able to find pathways between those. And For me, particularly, I think you've seen my content on LinkedIn, I do talk a lot about career crafting, Mm. um, the ability for people to make new roles as long as the company can support it. And so when this whole RevOps thing came out, I feel like a lot of marketing practitioners, salespeople, people on the service side. The ones who like transition, the people who like straddled between sales and the handoff to service, the people who you know, had to make the alignment between sales and marketing found a whole new home mm. on the ops side, the rev ops side, where they could fluidly move between all that. And I think rev ops as a new sort of fluid moving role shows that people don't want to just like stay in one spot mm-hmm. in an organization. Yep. So if you're a scaling company, If you are smart enough to make sure that people in your people platforms process sort of way of of operating come first, I think the rest will fall in line, but it's when you let the process and the platforms come first, you lose your people, they become unhappy, they leave your organization, you lose institutional knowledge. I think you work at a place at HubSpot who's done this exceptionally well. They haven't always done it well, but I think more recently, They've done a really good job at giving the ability for people to move laterally in an organization and make that organization stronger operationally.
0: Yeah, it's funny you, you bring it up. And, and HubSpot, I think, has done a great job, especially for a large company. And I think you're you know, you're know kind of following their lead and doing it for a small organization, which I think is cool because regardless of the size of a company, you can do this. And I feel like it almost starts with the culture that you build. You talk about this, this term career crafting, which I think is a great term. I want to dive into that a little bit further. But I think it comes down to the culture that you're setting from, you know, all the way from recruiting folks to the hiring process. And then what is their employee onboard? Look like? How do you you know? How do you treat them? how do, How does their experience with their colleagues work? How do you how do you set up those first ninety days of their of their career in that role? Tell me a little bit more about the things you've done at the you know for remotish your company to kind of build that culture of where career crafting is possible? I mean, is it, is it something you think that happens at the top or do you just hire the right people and, and give them the leeway to craft that career? Or what do, you, what do you see as some best practices to building a career crafting culture, Nicole?
1: Yeah, no, I think it definitely starts at the top. You know, when I went into RevOps, there weren't just these like people who said, I'm RevOps, like that's my title. You know, <laughs> like it didn't even exist. Right. And so I had to find people who I identified with pieces of that and then build a like a job around them, like a job title. Because people still need to know what they're doing, what they're being judged on, what their work is, what their what their performance is connected to how they can be successful how they can advance all that's very important so you need to contain it you need like a role or something <laughs> but smart people don't usually sit in the same role for a long time they want to kind of you know expand their their brain cells and try new things we've really encouraged cross training and making sure that people can you know, do someone else's job, have backups for each other. And and when we did that, people started to get a taste of someone else's job. Mm-hmm. They started to, to check out what's over on the left, what's over on the right, and over time, build an interest around that. And if they built a competency around it through being someone's backup, trying things out on their own, and their happiness lies on maybe going that route versus where they're at, if they're just not particularly excited. Or if I look at them going, wow, their skill for me might be more valuable over here if they could do this other role, right? I have a 10-person organization, but we've had like 25 job titles here <laughs> because people move. They go left, they go right. They they learn elements of their job that they don't like. It doesn't hurt me to be like, okay, you don't want to do point A. Well, then let's take off point A and you like point A from over here and I move it over and I do a minor adjustment to a title. Does that mm-hmm. mean I lost the whole talent? No. Does that show the, the worker that I'm willing to sort of give this, this intrapreneurial experience where they kind of pursue the things they're interested and build things that they like, as long as we can all pay the bills, that's okay, Mm -hmm. I think. And that's why I've been able to keep people, I think, in a small business trying to figure out their their stuff longer than a lot of my counterparts. It's not like I've been around too long in terms of this particular agency, but I see a lot of people like me equal, equal size. And the turnover is a little bit higher than ours. And I think that's why is rather than trying to cater to the people, they're forcing those people to stick within that job role to do the work that they may not necessarily like to do. And yeah, as an employer, I can see like, I hired you. This was the role you applied for. But six months, 12 months down the line, like you in in this world in this agency world I live in and, and in people who are scaling their businesses like things change fast like mm-hmm. really fast. If you don't allow them to change their interests as fast as you're changing your business, I mean that's not fair. Mm. Like you're 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 pigeonholing them and you're losing out on potentially really great entrepreneurial um, behaviors in your organization. If somebody started today as an intern and tomorrow they're my, you know, my CTO tomorrow being years from now. But (laughs) it's because I gave them a path to zig and zag and build that knowledge and try new things. Otherwise, they're just going to leave and they're going to go try that at five other new jobs until they sort of hit their Mm -hmm. stride. And people, specifically people early on in their career and in my mind early is, you know, all the way up to director those people they're constantly testing out new things mm-hmm. constantly trying something different i think you you probably see it all the time in your role because you consult with agencies you see where their staff is going you see the differences in the different sizes i don't know i think it's you know i, I don't want to say it's covid i don't want to say it's millennials i don't know what it is but i feel like i feel like we need to stop being so rigid and and ops is known for being rigid in any sense it We love great process. We love a well oiled machine. But when you don't know how to pivot, when you don't know how to change, if you don't have a mechanism in place for that, you're just going to lose out, lose out on talent, you know.
0: Well, I think it's balancing that process and that rigidity. Sometimes you have to balance it with some flexibility. It sounds like you have to have the ability to flex and adapt just like humans do. Like you just mentioned yep. that if your business is changing and, and the world around you is changing, but we're going to make our employees do the same role year after year after year. And eventually they get bored and leave. I mean, are you really that surprised? It's just kind of human nature. And whether it's, you know, you mentioned could be COVID related, could be millennials. I mean, it could just be people people. I mean, at Mm -hmm. at some point we're just talking about human beings being human. And I love the point that you brought up about entrepreneurial and intrapreneurial. I think that that's such a, if you can build an entrepreneurial culture, which I think is very difficult to do, it's easy to talk about and say, it's easy to say we value entrepreneurship and you taking chances and innovation. It's a lot harder to actually put that into training. You gave some great examples of how it can be done though. Cross training. That's something that I think a lot of companies maybe aren't doing right now is cross training their employees so that you're getting, you know, acclimated to other parts of the business. You can fill in, you can learn about those things versus just stay in your lane, do what we pay you to do and, you know, don't worry about anything else in the business In a small company, you can't do that. But how can you build, like, did you build cross training? Did you tell your employees you're going to cross train or did they come to you and say, hey, I wanna learn about this part of the business and you just gave them the
1: ability to do that? I think it's a combination. We're unique in the fact that I want someone to be able to show up a week before they want to take a week long vacation and be able to do it stress free. Mm. How do you do that? You need backups who are trained to do your role. And so building a backup system was the original intent until people really were excited to learn something new. Really we're excited to shadow someone else, you know, be brought into new opportunities and, and check it out. And I I mean, I have some people on my team in the, the span of a year have changed titles four times, you know, and <laughs> and it's interesting. As long as we can pay the bills, as long as we can still be around, I, I want to offer that. But I guess for me, my mission's a little different. And that's why. And I can't I can't look down on people where this this level of fluidity that I've built in my company is not possible, like you said. But there's a little bit that can always be had in any organization. I think a lot of it comes from the same fear that remote work gave when COVID hit, where when you can't see your people anymore, you can't feel confident that they're working. Uh, if you don't know what people are working on, you also don't feel confident in what, you know what they're working. And when you when you try to encourage on entre or entrepreneurial behaviors you're basically giving them a credit of free time or a ownership of some project and they more or less get to make the decisions about what's going down there's a lot of power that is being given up but i think it could be done in a controlled environment where you know the boundaries are set and then there's there's a little bit of play and allowing somebody to determine the agenda format for meetings right they control it they change it they train people on it they document it's like you can grow from there everyone wants to have some ownership in something mm-hmm. everyone wants to leave their mark and so so building that in into the organization sort of being entrepreneurial as well as allowing people to cross train and go, you know, jump the fence to a different role and making a mechanism for that are all ways where you just build better people. Mm-hmm. And for some organizations, their people is their product. And for other organizations, their people keep the product running. You don't, you can't operate without people. Very rarely can you build a, a, a very successful business without people. And I feel like a lot of organizations in their journey to operationalize everything are forgetting mm-hmm. this very important conversation and forgetting the investments they need to make in their people building.
0: Yep, exactly. One of the things that you've also done at remote is, is, build in a culture of not just remote work, but of also flexible remote work where you've you've built in, you know, some the ability to so it might be work asynchronously or you can I think that your employees might have the ability to earn, you know, time off those kind of things. So can you can you tell me a little bit about some of the strategy you, you've used at Remotish to to give remote workers even more flexibility to, you know, do things outside of work?
1: Yeah, this one is a really novel topic I talk with a lot of people about. I mean, we've we've taken what is normally the the work week. So, you know, Monday through Friday or Sunday through Saturday, however you view it. Mm-hmm. And we took it to the work month. And instead of containing people down to the work week, we just said, this is your target hours for the work month. You control your set schedule as you see fit, as long as the work gets done. Our client facing people on my company and for any organizations where like you, you have to deal with people outside of the organization, they're a little bit more beholden to more of a traditional schedule because of meetings and things like that. But anything beyond those commitments you make to meet with people who are outside of the organization, it's up to you. So, for example, I have a person on my team and she likes to wake up at like four four in the morning and work out and loves to be done super early in the day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Traditionally she'd be forced to come into work between eight or nine and and work a full day. And that just doesn't work for her. And then there's me and I, my brain turns on at like 10 p.m. at night and I'm working till two and that's where the magic's happening for me. Make me come into the office at eight or nine and you're gonna get the worst version of me. (laughs) I'm gonna be tired, be grumpy. And there's just we're two different people who have very different schedules. I'm also weird where, yes, I'll work from like 10 to two and then I'll sprinkle the remaining four hours through some other time. I, I just don't have a more traditional working. I operate really well with flex time. So flex time for me is the ability to be at Costco on my cell phone slacking. You know, it's like it's this integration between my life and my work that there's it's very seamless. There's no lines between the two. And for my other person, it's the ability to set her schedule that works for her. It, it still tends to be a eight-hour span, but it's something that she gets to control. And I think that's what people have been missing. For, for us, we were always remote and flex time. Then all of a sudden, the world became remote. <laughs> and then the world realized some people need flex time. They have kids at home. The daytime is difficult for them. Or if they could spread out some hours to the weekend, it would make them more capable of doing their work. So all of a sudden, a lot of people became flex time mm-hmm. um, because they also realized if they weren't trained on how to manage their schedule, they were working too much. They were overloading themselves. And so what I've tried to do is teach people how to work asynchronous, asynchronously, how to communicate through through tools that help facilitate the conversation, reduce meetings when meetings are not necessary and give everyone the power. And that's how, in, in, in and of itself, I feel like an entrepreneurial experience. Mm. It's almost like we're the W2 home of a bunch of independent consultants, right? Mm. We have all the structure of like a networking group. We have built-in peer mentorship and coaching amongst each other. We all are umbrellaed under the same company, but everyone sort of has their play, their place to be. And it it's very rewarding because you're a contributor to something bigger than you. You have lots of freedoms does it take time to train people on how to behave that way when they've never been like that before? Yes, it's it's definitely an investment. But once you get to the other side of, of making that investment and, and going back to original conversations, you know, allowing people to career craft, giving them an entrepreneurial experience, allowing them to control their schedules within reason, I still say, hey, if a client reaches out, please respond to them within this time frame. Depending on the nature of the request, but that, that doesn't mean we're like a help desk. We're not on twenty-four hours a day. I don't know. I feel like I, I I feel like so many people have just gone so far on the other side, and and these things, these foundations of building great work environments that people love to work at, have been lost. And at one point, it was replaced with ping pong tables and free mm-hmm. lunches, right? But I think people. Really, just need enough money to pay their bills. And then the rest just needs to be a a comfortable way to build how you do your work, right? Lots of control on how you operate your work every day. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. Love it. I love the line, the W2 home for, of of a bunch of independent consultants. I think that's such a a great way to frame it. And I think if more businesses could think of their business in that way, they could learn to work asynchronously. They could learn to build this entrepreneurial culture. They could learn to be comfortable, you know, giving, giving their employees some, some leeway and flex time to just handle things uh, within a given time period, a week, a month, Mm -hmm. you know, a quarter, whatever it might be. So... How does okay? So all of these systems, I think, are are fantastic. I think all of these ideas would really help a lot of companies develop the right talent and and keep them a long time. What about how do you from if you go back to the hiring perspective? If you go back to what are you looking for in individuals to bring them into your culture that you've built that has all of these great things? What are you looking for for individuals in the hiring process? So you you know you you can only learn so much about. Folks during that process, how do you know someone's going to be successful when you throw them into remotish's culture and this and this you know flexible remote work life they'll have?
1: Wow, I wish I had the an answer to that one. <laughs> I think I've just had to to build in extensive mentorship, coaching, and training. And know that I can't get away with just someone magically showing up and reading my mind. Even people who have been their own consultants, operating on their own, running their own businesses, I do things differently. And so creating this like continuous loop of feedback. Yeah, I don't do performance reviews once a year. Like. That seems ridiculous to wait a whole year to give people the feedback they need to do well with their job. I have a whole process in place that if someone feels like they're ready to promote, they can reach out to me and we'll build a plan to get them to their promotion. I don't know. I don't think people naturally come to me with with everything in place. I think they have to be really teachable and very curious and very technical because it's a bunch of technology that's helping us do what we need to do. If they have those core pieces, we tend to find success. It's people who are rigid, people who don't, you know, who are not willing to try something new, try it out, provide feedback to me. It's people who want very, very set boundaries, you know, on their lives. Mm we're not a nine nine to five job. And so if they want nine to five, they're going to have to build that themselves. Yes, somebody might Slack you at 8 p.m., but it doesn't mean that we're, you know, you shouldn't look at that Slack message at 8 p.m. as a impending conversation you have to have. Mm -hmm. Uh, You just build your work environment. When people require a lot of structure that I have to impose upon them so they can understand how successful they're being, it doesn't work. But when people can be, entrepreneurial and collaborative with me and build something with me, at least in my organization, they're going to be more successful. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I I did that on purpose because I don't like working in an office from nine to five with rigidity and too much structure. And so I, I did kind of build a business that better suited me first and then ended up folding in people who kind of were looking for this way of life on their end. They They may not have known what it was or been able to articulate these words like flex time, entrepreneurship. before COVID. They may not have understand what remote working really means. And so I guess I do my best to just educate them on the possibilities and expand their minds. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I don't know if there's this magic formula for when I hire them. Right, so going right. to be successful. Uh,
0: yeah, sometimes you have to just take a chance and hope that yeah. you have, like you said, those core competencies and they have the flexibility to adapt to, to your environment. Any parting words of advice to, you know, these revenue leaders looking to scale up, especially around this people conversation that we've been having? What... You know, any any other advice that anything that we've missed or not touched on that you think would be good perspective from uh, people ops or or this building this career crafting kind of culture that you've built? Any other advice that you give, Nicole?
1: I mean, in any department, but most specifically in this like budding new rev ops department of organizations, I think good leadership is very very important. I think it's very easy to hire someone and make them the rev ops generalist in a sense and just be like, run with it. I don't know. I feel like that's how you fail. If you bring in a very good people manager, even if they first start off as the person doing the work, I think that's a big deal. I think growing people who are able to grow other people should be your first order of business in any scaling organization, independent of RevOps. And I feel that it's very easy to hire 70 SDRs and then finally hire, you know, a leader for them. I think it should be, you know, I I think people, managers and people, leaders and people, developers and people with coaching skills should be first, even if they are lateral to the people who they're mentoring and coaching, if that makes sense. Right. So here coaching and things like that. I don't know. I feel like that's the best thing to invest in first. Yes, the platforms and the process will come later. But if you build really, really great people, they'll manually operate these processes until you have it dialed in and then you can document it. And then if the system breaks, you can immediately default back to your manual processes. I don't think if you build the system and then people don't know how to do it manually, if you'll ever have that default in place. And that's where that's where companies lose a lot of money, I think, or Mm -hmm. oftentimes fail.
0: Yep. Nope. Love it. Thank you, Nicole. Um, I appreciate all the great uh, uh, candor and and insights that you've given into how you've built your people operation. Nicole, if my if my listeners want to find you online, how how can they do so?
1: LinkedIn. You can find me there. I talk a lot about stuff like this. I, I often try to also share my side of the fence. You know, like the employer side, the man. You know, I'm the man <laughs> to a lot of people, and and give a face to like what it means to be an employer to help employees understand like there's a human on the other side. So I'd love comments and conversation around that with, with people who want to go find me on LinkedIn.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. You can find all the links discussed and the show notes at the saleslift.com. That's the T H E sales S A L E S lift. L I F T.com. Have questions for me? email me at tyler at the We look forward to seeing you back here next week. And we hope today's show brings you the sales lift your business needs. Remember, ideas plus action equals results. You've got new ideas. Now it's time to take action and the results will follow. See you next time.